Can't Wait for Christmas is a proud member of the Christmas Podcast Network. Check out all the shows on the network at christmaspodcastnetwork.com. Hey, buddy, what you doing? Is it Christmas yet? No, sorry, not yet. I can't wait for Christmas. Yeah, I can't wait for Christmas either. In fact, let's celebrate now. <laughs> Welcome to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. It's August 25th, 2020, and that means there's just four months left until Christmas. Today on the show, we'll look at what some folks consider to be the kickoff of the Christmas season, the Burr Months. We'll also count down the top five people who should be in the Christmas Hall of Fame, learn how to make an edible Christmas card, and we have the latest chapter in our made-for-podcast Christmas movie, A Bomb for Christmas. Okay, let's start the show! Yule Believers, we're back in the Christmas cave for another installment of America's favorite Christmas podcast hosted by a comedian named Tim Babb. That's a pretty specific list of parameters. Well, imaginary listener, that kind of sounds like Kermit the Frog. I'll take whatever wins I can get. Fair enough. So, as 2020 seems determined to be the wet sock and the shoe of our happiness, I feel it's up to us to be a Christmas light in the darkness, singing our jolly carols for all to hear. As I record this episode, the coronavirus continues to devastate the world, my home state of California is on fire, two hurricanes are barreling towards the southern U.S., and worst of all, Zack Snyder is editing his cut of the Justice League to foist upon an unsuspecting public. So today, of all days, we need a little Christmas now. We This Christmas tip is something I found in Country Living's Merry and Bright, a collection of great ideas for decorating crafts and recipes for the holidays. And it's that last one that we'll be highlighting today with their recipe for holiday cookie cards. Now, these are little cookies that you put a little holiday message in. You mean a fortune cookie? No, these are holiday cookie cards. A little treat you have and there's a holiday message inside. Hmm, sounds like a fortune cookie. Can I just tell them how it's made? Hey, it's your show. Okay, so first off, what you need to make these are four large egg whites, one cup of sugar, one cup of all-purpose flour, one half cup of unsalted butter, a half teaspoon of pure vanilla extract, and one and one half teaspoons of ground aniseed. All right, you got your ingredients, you're all set. Here's how you get it done. Combine the egg whites and the sugar in a medium bowl. Then add everything else into the bowl and mix with a whisk. Once it's all nice and smooth, cover it with plastic wrap and put in the fridge for one to 24 hours. What a leeway there. Yeah, I guess they just want you to know that if you forget about it or get called away to do something else, it's fine. You can get back to this tomorrow. Once the batter has reached your desired level of chilledness, preheat your oven to 350. While your oven's heating up, cut out eight 10 by one half inch pieces of paper. For the fortunes? For the Christmas notes! So, write your Christmas note on there and grab a non-stick cookie sheet and spoon three tablespoons of your batter into the center. The result should be a circle about eight inches in diameter. Bake about seven minutes or until golden brown, and then take it out and let it cool, but not too much. 
You want it to still be malleable, but you don't want to sear your fingertips off because you're going to take the cookie out with a spatula, flip it over, and take one of your Christmas greetings and put it in the center of the circle. Then you fold it over into a loose semicircle. Then you take the two edges and bring them together and hold it there for a minute. Then set it on a rack to cool while you repeat this process seven more times with the rest of your batter. And finally, you get eight fortune cookies. Would you get out of here? You're not helping. Whatever. I know a fortune cookie when I see a fortune cookie. You just think, because I sound like Kermit the Frog, I don't know what a fortune cookie is. Anyway, that's the recipe. And if you weren't writing it down, don't worry. I put a link to the Country Living recipe in the show notes, so you can just click on it and see, oh, these totally do look like giant fortune cookies. Vindication! Well, maybe you could actually write a fortune for how the cookie eater's Christmas will be. Like, Santa will bring you exactly what you want this year, or your Christmas spirit will bring out the best in others, or even sometimes just your presence is the best present. Anyway, go to can'twaitforchristmaspod.com and you'll find the link to these holiday cookie card, fortune cookies, whatever they are. (laughs) Enjoy. And now it's time for our countdown feature, Five Golden Things. So back in November of last year, I told you guys about the Christmas Hall of Fame. This is a new thing that is starting up, and this year will be the first inductees. You can actually go to christmashalloffame.net and nominate who you think should be in there. In November, I made the case for Jim Henson to be nominated. Now, several folks have suggested that that was a pretty odd choice. When you think of Christmas, Jim Henson may not be the first person who comes to mind, and that's fair, but in my defense, when they first announced the Christmas Hall of Fame, it was on a forum post at MyMerryChristmas.com where they were asking about suggestions for who should be in the Christmas Hall of Fame. And I got there late in the game, so a lot of obvious choices had been taken, so I was trying to come up with ones that hadn't been said yet. So I floated Jim Henson, and I got a little pushback on whether he deserved to be in or not, so that's why I did that segment last year. All this to say, I know there are more obvious choices for the inaugural class of the Christmas Hall of Fame, and I shall present you with five of them now, starting with... Number five! Andy Williams! Come on, his nickname was Mr. Christmas. We did a feature on him a few years back. Between his yearly holiday specials and his classic Christmas music, Andy Williams has shaped many a Christmas and was an excellent ambassador of its spirit. When you're watching a movie or TV show and they want to use a song as shorthand to tell you the audience that it's Christmas time in the scene, one of the go-to songs you'll hear is Andy's Most Wonderful Time of the Year. Andy is so Christmas, he's practically a Christmas cliche. Number four. Rankin Bass. Arthur Rankin Jr. and Jules Bass are the men behind some of the most iconic animated Christmas specials of all time. Rudolph, Frosty, The Year Without a Santa Claus, the list goes on. There's a good chance that you watch one or more of their specials every year. And there's an even better chance that you have some nostalgic Christmas connection with one or more of their specials from your childhood. Number three, Bing Crosby. Hey, does somebody say Bing Crosby? I knew that was going to conjure the alleged ghost of Bing Crosby, but I couldn't avoid it. He definitely was, and really still is, an icon of Christmas who shaped the sound of Christmas more than any one single person I can think of. Hey, baby, this is the best episode of your podcast ever. But I did a whole feature, all about you, last year. But did you mention that I shaped the sound of Christmas? Pretty sure I did. Let's roll the clip. I would have to say this dude shaped the sound of Christmas more than any one single person I can think of. Yeah, I like the way you said it this time way better. Okay, well, annoying ghost notwithstanding, Bing is definitely an obvious candidate for the Christmas Hall of Fame. Number two. Jesus. Wow, number two? The holiday is for his birthday and you're ranking him at number two? Yes, but I have a good reason. I hope so, baby, because you're about to get some angry letters. 
<sighs> okay, well, I don't really feel like I need to do a ton of justifying as to why Jesus is on this list. The entire Christmas holiday is about him and because of his birth. If Jesus can't get a spot in the Christmas Hall of Fame, what is the point of it? Honorable mentions! Emperor Constantine! This guy may not be in carols or in holiday specials, but he set Christmas on the path to be what it is today. Constantine was the first Christian emperor of Rome, and he introduced Christmas as an immovable feast taking place on December 25th. It didn't catch on among Christians right away, but officially declaring this date is how the celebration of Christmas and the celebration of Saturnalia became intertwined. And that has led to many Christmas traditions that stuck around to this day. There were many gradual steps over the centuries, but Constantine was the one who really mixed the chocolate of Christmas with the peanut butter of Saturnalia. Number one, Mary. Jesus's mother? Yeah, I told you I had a good reason for putting Jesus at number two. But surely she should be at number two. Should she, though? She's the one who had the baby. There's an old joke that says we should give our moms presents on our birthday because they were the ones doing all the work that day. And Mary was definitely working hard on that first Christmas. She's fleeing from people out to get her. She's got a setup to give birth in a manger, and she's only got her husband to help with the birthing process. Let me tell you, I was in the room when both my sons were born, and I was no help at all. And I had been to months of birthing classes. Joseph didn't have any of that back then. I'm sure he was just winging it. Mary had to bring this baby into the world under some of the most adverse conditions you could imagine, but she did it. And because she did, we have Jesus. And more importantly, for a discussion about the Christmas Hall of Fame, we have Christmas. I did an episode earlier this year about people who have to work on Christmas. Well, the original person who had to work hard on the very first Christmas was Mary. She had to work to make Christmas happen for the world. And for that, I say she belongs in the Christmas Hall of Fame. And that's my list. Feel free to agree or disagree in the comments. And there's still time to nominate one of these folks, or someone else entirely, at christmashalloffame.net. And now it's time for a segment I usually call Feedback from Our Last Show. But since our last show was our listener special, it already was feedback as it was happening. But I didn't get to the feedback from our June episode in that show, so I'm happy to present to you now feedback from our last last show. Messages from listeners everywhere. Feedback on our last, last show. Feedback on our last, last show. You see, back in June, I did a five golden things about my favorite Santa Clauses in movies, and apparently, there are some deep feelings about this issue. We got quite a few comments about this, just like this one from Rick, who says, I was thinking during the five golden things segment that Edmund Gwynn's Santa had to be number one, and I was overjoyed to be right. I've seen some others come close, but Gwen's Kris Kringle is the one that stuck with me from childhood as the absolute best portrayal. Another great show, Tim. Let me jump on the bandwagon as someone else who would love to hear a Disney's The Nightmare Before Christmas themed episode. Thank you, Rick. Always glad to hear when someone agrees with me. And duly noted about the Nightmare Before Christmas episode. Uh, But to tide you over, I did do an episode a few years back about the Nightmare Before Christmas overlay of the Haunted Mansion at Disneyland. That's got to count for something, right? Maybe? A little bit? I don't know. But there are some other folks out there who have some other Santas that they wanted mentioned or ranked higher on the list. One opinion you should definitely listen to is the guy who wrote the book on Christmas movies. Literally. Alonzo Duralde, author of Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas, film critic for The Wrap, and host of several podcasts including Linoleum Knife and Who Shot Ya, was nice enough to leave this comment. While I don't care for the movie, Paul Giamatti's Santa in Fred Claus is one of my favorite big screen Saint Nicks. Cheers! I have to admit, I have never seen Fred Claus, and nothing I've heard about it has really enticed me to give it a try, but I do like Paul Giamatti quite a bit, so maybe in the future? I'll check it out. Thanks for the tip, Alonzo. 
More Santa talk now from Dave, who commented, Thanks for another great podcast, Tim. I love all the Santas on your list, but on my Santa list, Tim Allen is rock solid number one. We love the original Santa Claus so much that it's the movie we save for Christmas Eve viewing in our home each year. Thanks, Dave. I do enjoy that movie. Tim Allen turned out to be a surprisingly good choice for Santa. Then we come to apparently the biggest omission I made on my list. We'll start with a comment from Adam. You forgot Dave Huddleston from Santa Claus the Movie. I know the film itself is flawed, especially all the homeless child bits, but he is a great Santa, and he was my childhood Santa as we watched it all the time on VHS. Then a later comment from Paul, who says, Seconding David Huddleston from Santa Claus the Movie. He is as close to the Coca-Cola Santa as you can get, and although that movie is kind of bonkers, it's worth it to spend some time with him. Finally, the Santa by the Minute podcast tweeted to us, We are shocked, sir, shocked that the Santa from a movie with Santa Claus and the movie in the title didn't even manage to get an honorable mention on a list of top five movie Santas. Winking emoji, Santa emoji. So apparently this Santa Claus the movie is something I need to revisit. I haven't seen it since I was a kid. Uh, I remember it being super weird and kind of scary for some reason. But clearly I'm missing out on some grade A Santa-ing, so I will take your suggestions and give it a shot. But we're not out of alternate Santa suggestions quite yet. The inventor of the Linus test, Brian, did a whole top five Santa list of his own. I shall attempt to do it justice by reading it to you now. In fact, let's play the jingle again! First up is Big Jim Call from Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. Just about as perfect a Santa as you can ever find. Number four. Ed Asner and Elf. I like my Santas to have a little bit of crust to them, an ability to make you think, whoa, this dude might just give me a stocking full of coal if I'm not good. Number three. Controversial, I know, but Russell Peters from Grumpy Cat's Worst Christmas Ever. One of the best, whoa, wait, I think that dude was really Santa, acts I've ever seen. Number two. Arthur Christmas. All the Santas in that movie are just perfect. Number one. But the big one, Kurt Russell from the Christmas Chronicles. Everything that got the other four Santas, Santai, on the list are wrapped up in here. Crusty, magical, whoa, that guy might actually just be Santa. A deep history mythos that we're just getting a snapshot of. All wrapped into a great Christmas package. Well, thank you, Brian. We have two of the same Santas on our list and even had Ed Asner in the same spot. But... I've never seen Arthur Christmas or Grumpy Cat's Worth Christmas ever, so I can't speak to those. Regardless, I want to thank everyone for sharing your Santa favorites. I'd love to read your feedback on our episodes. So thank you for taking the time to comment, email, tweet. Any feedback is greatly appreciated by the management. And now it's time for the latest in holiday happenings. All I want for Christmas is news. Baby, all I want. Give me that news, baby. Yeah, news. Music legend Dolly Parton is releasing a new Christmas album this year. This is her first Christmas album since Home for Christmas in 1990. But it's not just Dolly. She's got a bunch of famous friends on the album, too. Willie Nelson, Miley Cyrus, Billy Ray Cyrus, Jimmy Fallon? Okay. Not the person who comes to mind when I think Christmas music, but I'll trust Dolly on this one. And the lead single on the album will be a duet with Michael Buble called Cuddle Up, Cozy Down Christmas. 
The full album, A Holly Dolly Christmas, drops October 1st, but there is a song that has been released already. You can hear it now. It's a very emotional rendition of Mary Did You Know. Did you know? Side note about Dolly Parton. Apparently, she donated a million dollars to COVID-19 vaccine research. You go, Dolly. And now, a word from one of the other podcasts in the Christmas Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Jess. And we're we're Hallmark Hallmark and and Jess. Jess. (laughs) I feel like we're in a car dealership commercial. (laughs) We swear we won't talk like this during the podcast. There's two things we love most in this world. Hallmark movies and Lacey Chabert. And we're breaking down all of your favorite Hallmark movies like... A Very Merry Mix-Up. Rocky Mountain Christmas. And the All of My Heart series. Tommy, please be my husband. So tune in every Wednesday. Today! So, it's almost the end of August, which means we're about to hit the Burr months, so I thought it might be a good time to talk about them. First off, you might be asking, what are the Burr months? Well, those are the months of September, October, November, and December. They're called the Burr months, partially because the weather is getting colder, but mostly because they all end in Burr, September. October, November, December. I know, I didn't really need to do all four. You kind of figured it out. But once you get started, you can't stop. Christmas fans view the Burr months as the green light to start ramping up for Christmas. But before I get into the Christmasiness of the Burr months, I thought we might look at how they got their names, because I thought it was kind of interesting. You see, the calendar as we know it was started by the ancient Romans in around 700 BC. They only had 10 months on the calendar. Martius, Aprilius, Maius... Junus, Quintilus, Sextilius, September, October, November, December. Those got really easier to pronounce all of a sudden. Now, when I first read that they only had 10 months, I assumed that they had more days in each of the months so they could fill up that 365-day year. Nope. The year just started in Martus, which would later become March, and ended in December. Then there was a 61-day gap during winter, so there was just not months during most of the winter. That's so weird. Like, Hey, what month is it, Tiberius? It's not any month. We're in winter no man's land. Why do they sound like that? They're ancient Romans. I thought ancient Romans talk like this. I come to bury Caesar not to praise him. The evil that men do lives after them. The good is often turned with their bones, so let it be with Caesar. That's just Shakespeare. Everybody sounds British in Shakespeare. Anyway, the months September, October, November, and December are derived from the Roman words for 7, 8, 9, and 10, since they were the 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th month. Which, of course, doesn't make any sense anymore, since the Greeks added two months to the end of the calendar— Januarius and Februarius. Then Julius Caesar decided that Januarius should be the first month of the year. And so now December, the 10th month, is the 12th month of the year. Nothing makes sense anymore. Why do we try and make it make sense? But that's how the Burr months came to be. Now, it wasn't until I started this podcast that I learned that the Christmas community considers the Burr months as the kickoff to the Christmas season. I'd assume that this was an American thing. Like, as soon as Starbucks unveils the pumpkin spice lattes, people see it as a harbinger of Christmas time. 
But actually, the tradition of kicking off the Christmas season with the Burr Months comes from the Philippines. And they aren't messing around. It's not just Christmas diehards in the Philippines who start the celebration this early. On September 1st, the Christmas decorations start coming out, the stores start putting out their Christmas displays, and radio stations start playing Christmas music. Like famous Filipino singer Jose Medichan, who's an icon of Christmas music in the Philippines. Peace on earth, we dream for the world. Time to love and time to share. We can wish for love. But why do they start so early? No one quite knows where the tradition started. The cynical reason is just that the stores are trying to wring some extra holiday dollars out of the season, but typically, demand drives sales like this, not vice versa. Some say it's because the country is majority Catholic, but the Christmas season doesn't begin in the Catholic Church until the last week of November, so why do the Philippines celebrate Christmas for one-third of the year? I read a theory on Rappler.com that sounded pretty plausible. According to this quote from the article, The most simple explanation for the Philippines' long Christmas season is our psychological framework to count down the days to big celebrations, said Bro Sarita. A hundred days till Christmas start on September 16th, but we, Filipinos, always like to start celebrating earlier. By knowing exactly how much time we have remaining to complete a task, instead of stressing about it, we'll be better able to allocate our time. In fact, a 100-day countdown also acts as a secondary motivator and reinforces us Filipinos to complete our Christmas tasks before the big day. So if you're in the mood to start celebrating Christmas in September, go right ahead. If someone gives you any flack about it, you can just say, hey, if it's good enough for the Philippines, it's good enough for me. Burr months! Now it's time for the latest chapter of our made-for-podcast Christmas movie, where we take a Hallmark movie and a Die Hard movie, throw them in a blender to create a bomb for Christmas. When we last left our hero, Detective Holly McTiernan was locked inside the Port Caldwell Christmas Festival office. She had come there looking for her husband, Bobby, and then learned that there was a bomb in the building. Meanwhile, at the festival across town... The festival director, George, is anxiously waiting for Bobby to start the gingerbread decorating contest. So, let's pick up where we left off with Chapter 4 of A Bomb for Christmas. Exterior, Betty's Coffee, Day. People are crowding around the coffee shop as Gern stands out in front, giving another broadcast. The ugly sweater contest was a huge success again this year. I'm joined now by this year's winners. We actually had a tie, so say hello to Kimberly and Brandon. Hello, everybody. Is this on TV? Yes, it is, Brandon. Do you want to tell us about your winning sweater? It has Christmas cats. Mom says if those two things people love, it's Christmas and cats. It appears your mom was right because you came in first place along with Kimberly here. Now, Kimberly, what was your secret to choosing the perfect ugly Christmas sweater? Sequins go in lots and lots of sequins. I can see that. You almost look like a festive disco ball. I don't know what that is. You can ask your grandparents. But I guess my real question is, were you worried that was too much sequins? There's no such thing, gone. Fair enough. Well, congratulations. I know they are called ugly sweaters, but you both look adorable. Meowy Christmas. Good times. Plenty more festive fun going on here today at the Port Caldwell Christmas Festival. 
In fact, I'm right in front of Betty's Coffee where the gingerbread decorating contest is set to get underway soon. I'll be checking in all day leading up to the tree lighting ceremony tonight with our special mystery celebrity guest. For Channel 9 Action News, I'm Kern Blanston. Interior Betty's Coffee Shop, day. George is looking nervously out the window as Betty walks up behind him. George? Ah! Oh! Oh, sorry, Betty. You surprised me there. Sorry, George. I was just wondering if we were going to start the contest soon. Absolutely. Just waiting for Bobby. Oh? Where is Bobby? He went back to the festival office. Where's that? We set ourselves up in the old Rickman building this year. That sad old building downtown? I thought they were going to tear that thing down. They were. I convinced them to wait until January so we could use it as our base of operations for the festival this year. It's coming really handy. So when will Bobby be back? I'm not sure. I don't even know why he went over there. I hate to keep all these people waiting. Me too. I hope he gets back soon. Well, you could just get us started. Me? Now, George Walker, don't pretend like you haven't run this festival for years. Yes, but Bobby's been doing such a great job this year, and I wanted to make sure your contest, the Gingerbread House contest, is the best ever this year. Let me let you in on a little secret, George. You don't need Bobby for that. The two exchange a warm smile. You're the boss, Miss Official Judge. Let's get this started. George sees Alana walking in and putting her phone away. George walks over to her. Alana, was that Bobby? No, sorry. I was just checking up on our mystery guest. Well, we can't wait any longer. Can I get your help getting everyone set up at their stations? And, of course, escort our lovely judge to the judging table. Happy to help. I just hope Bobby and Holly get back before they miss everything. I wonder what's taking them so long. Interior. Festival office. Day. Holly is running down a hallway and ducks into an office. Victor, a tall, muscular Russian man, comes around the corner with a gun. There is no point in hiding, Detective. We've reactivated the building's security cameras. We can see everywhere you go. Victor puts his hand to his ear. Uh, Ivan, where did she go? She's through the door on your left. Victor starts to walk towards an office door. Your other left. Victor walks into the other office door and sees only a desk and some filing cabinets. Suddenly, a loud beeping catches his attention. He turns and fires his gun. He steps around the desk to see that he has just shot a cell phone that was sitting on the floor. Just as he realizes this, Holly jumps from behind the filing cabinet and knocks the gun out of Victor's hand. Holly goes to grab the gun, but Victor kicks her, knocking her to the floor behind the desk. Now Victor lunges for the gun, but Holly kicks the office chair from behind the desk straight into Victor, who is thrown into the wall. Holly scrambles to grab the gun. Victor throws the chair and pulls a knife from his boot. He starts towards Holly until she spins around with the gun leveled at Victor's head. Did you see that move on the security cameras, Boris? It's Victor. I don't care. You have maybe 60 seconds before Ivan comes storming in here. Then you have 59 seconds to tell me where the bomb is and where Bobby is. Bobby? Ha! None of this would be happening if it weren't for Bobby. Talk, Borscht Breath. How about I stab you instead? Victor starts towards Holly but freezes as Holly pulls the trigger. But nothing happens. Really? You wasted all your bullets shooting at my phone? Victor charges at Holly again. She dodges the knife, flips the gun around in her hand, and brings the butt of the gun smashing into Victor's face. Oh, mother He crumbles to the ground. She starts to search his pockets when she hears footsteps coming down the hallway. Cut to Ivan running down the hall and entering the office. He finds Victor on the floor, but there's no sign of Holly. 
As he looks around confused, the camera pans up to the ceiling vent, and we see that it's slightly askew. Interior, Betty's Coffee Shop Day. Dozens of teams are at their stations, piled high with gingerbread, candy, and icing. Alana is walking from table to table, collecting people's sign-up sheets. George stands at the front of the room. All right, everyone. It is time to begin. Welcome to the Gingerbread House Contest. Before we get started, I just want to give a big thank you to Betty for letting us use her coffee shop for the contest this year and for being our judge. Take a bow, Betty. It's my pleasure. I'm looking forward to seeing all the wonderful creations you'll be coming up with. Thank you, Betty. Now, here are the rules. You can only use the supplies you've been given. That way it's fair that everyone has the same amount of candy canes and gumdrops and all that good stuff. If we see a house that's made with peanut butter M&Ms all over the roof, you're disqualified, and I'll eat your roof. (laughs) Also, Betty is giving extra points for creativity, so don't be afraid to think outside the box. But most importantly, have fun. You're building more than a gingerbread house here today. You're building memories. Before she passed a few years back, my wife and I would build gingerbread houses every year. And let me tell you, they were hideous. The walls would tip over, the roof would cave in, and they were usually a hot mess. But we had such fun putting them together. Years from now, I don't know if you'll remember if you came in first place or last place, but I know you'll remember the fun you had with your loved ones expressing the joy of Christmas in the perfect way. Through lots and lots of sugar. (laughs) Okay, enough of my talking. Let the gingerbread house building begin! George walks over to Betty's judging table. That was lovely, George. Thank you, Betty. Alana walks up to the table. Here are all the contestants' entry forms. I sorted them by their table numbers. Thanks, Alana. Uh, Any word from Bobby or Holly? Nope. Maybe I should go and find out what's keeping them. I don't know. Looks like you've got this handled on your own. See? I told you. My Christmas hero. Interior. Ventilation ducts of the festival office. Day. Holly is scooching through the cramped duct. Holly is muttering to herself. Take some days off. Help Bobby with the festival. I'm never listening to Captain Willis again. Okay, Holly, you're trapped in a building. There's a bomb in the building and Bobby's in the building. But you don't know where they are and you can't search without a bunch of Russian dudes right on your tail. So the only solution is find the room with the security cameras. Take out the Ruski who's playing lookout and use the cameras to find Bobby and the bomb. Unfortunately, there's no directory in this ventilation system. Very inconsiderate, if you ask me. Suddenly, the duck shifts and Holly crashes through the ceiling into an office below. <laughs> Interior. Festival office day. Holly lies on the floor for a moment. That's gonna mess my back up. Holly's eyes open <gasps> wide and she sits up. Back up! What was I thinking? I'll just call Chief Beebe. Oh, right. Bullwinkle's arch nemesis shot my phone. Wait, there's a landline on this desk. Holly goes to the desk, picks up the phone, puts it to her ear, but hears nothing. She clicks the hook switch a few times. Of course they cut the landline. This wasn't challenging enough already. Holly looks at the papers on the desk. Hey, this is Bobby's writing. This must be his desk. I wonder if he's got a layout of the building here. Holly searches through the various papers and sees a file marked Seattle. Seattle? Why would he need a file on Seattle for the Port Caldwell Christmas Festival? Holly opens the file. Her face goes from confused to shocked. What? Suddenly, Ivan bursts through the door. Ugh, how many of you are there? 
Ivan pulls out a gun and Holly ducks behind the desk. Ivan fires a few shots and Holly rolls to the side, knocking over a tiny trash can next to the desk. Ivan turns at hearing the noise, but before he can fire again, Holly whips the trash can at his face. Ivan falls to the ground unconscious. Holly runs over and grabs his gun. She begins going through his pockets. Come on, Yakov Smirnov. Give me some clues to where that bomb is. As Holly is searching Ivan, she sees all the trash that has been strewn on the floor, and one particular paper catches her eye. It's a partially crumpled paper with Russian writing on it. She picks it up, uncrumples it, and slowly stands up. You've got to be kidding me! Interior, Betty's Coffee Shop, Day. All the stations have beautifully decorated gingerbread houses. George and Betty stand up from the judges' table. Attention, everyone. It's time to announce the winners. First, I have to say what a hard job this was. You all did a great job of finding Christmas with your creations. And with all the candy, icing, and Christmas cookies, this is sure to be the sweetest Christmas ever. But I had to pick the top three. So here they are. In third place, we have... Joan's Amazing Christmas Train. Talk about outside-of-the-box thinking. Who would have thought to make a gingerbread train instead of a house? All the details on here are just marvelous. Great job, Joan. And our second place winner is... Steve's lovely Christmas cottage. I thought this one was great, Betty. Just looks so cosy and festive. A great place for a good old-fashioned gingerbread romance. Oh, really? On to our first place winner... Who is that, Betty? First place goes to Nikki's Christmas Land. A train was outside of the box, but this little gingerbread amusement park is outstanding. How did you make a carousel out of candy canes and gumdrops? You're like the gingerbread whisperer, Nikki. Congratulations to you all. You will each get a special card for a free warm drink every day this winter here at the coffee shop. And our first place winner will get a table at Cartwright's Restaurant for their legendary Christmas brunch tomorrow. So congratulations, Nikki. You and your family will be spending Christmas at Cartwright's. Congratulations to all our winners and a big thank you to all who entered. You've truly made this a Christmas to remember. Interior Festival Office Day. Holly sneaks through the halls looking for the security room. She moves to avoid the cameras as she goes swiftly down the halls. Finally, she sees a room with dozens of monitors and slips inside. She finds no one inside the room, so she sits down and begins scanning the monitors. Okay, if I was a crazy random Russian madman, where would I hide a bomb? Holly is so intently studying the monitors, she doesn't notice a shadowy figure is creeping in the doorway. Before she can react, the figure is behind her and places a gun to the back of her head. The camera pans up to reveal Bobby is the figure holding the gun. Didn't expect to see me, did ya? End Act 4. Cut to commercial. This section of A Bomb for Christmas featured music from Kevin MacLeod and sounds from various sources, all licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. For more information, check the show notes of this episode. Tim, you're not going to leave us hanging there for a whole month, are you? Afraid so. If you want to hear what happens next, you got to join us on September 25th for Chapter 5. Uh. I want to thank my cast for another round of brilliant performances. My lovely wife, Danelle, as Holly. And speaking of families, we had a whole family in this chapter with Emily as Alana, Emily's husband, Brendan, as Bobby, and their two kids, Penny and Griffin, as Kimberly and Brandon. The family that acts together stays together. That's a thing I just made up.
But I'm not done listing our great performers. We also had Trish as Betty, Edward as George, Justin as Gern, and my lifelong friend, former roommate, and the guy who did the behind-the-scenes tech work to get our podcast started in the very beginning, Mysterious Andy as Victor. Five years in, I don't think I've ever thanked Andy on air for getting this little Christmas freak show started. Thank you, Andy. And thank you to all my wonderful actors. We'll hear more from you next month in the continuing story of A Bomb for Christmas. And that's our show for today. Thank you for stopping by the Christmas Cave. I hope your stay was enjoyable. Remember to go to can'twaitforchristmaspod.com and look for the show notes to episode 070 for the link to those holiday cookie cards. Fortune cookies! Would you stop that? Also, you'll find a link to the Christmas Hall of Fame where you still have a few months to put your nominee in for contention. We'll be back on September 25th, deep in the Burr months, with more jolly jokes and seasonal silliness. In the meantime, Yule Believers, keep laughing all the way. And that was Christmas 1983. Actually, Dad, it's 2020. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, a.k.a. iTunes, and email us about it at christmas at tancast.com, we'll send you a free Can't Wait for Christmas sticker. If you'd like to see the show notes or leave a comment on this or any other episodes, you can go to our official website, can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. While you're there, you'll find a link to our official Zazzle store where you can grab customizable t-shirts, ornaments, stickers, and all sorts of other Christmas-themed items all year long. We'd love to connect with you on social media. On Facebook and Instagram, we are Can't Wait for Christmas Pod. And on Twitter, we are at Christmas Pod. We Wish You a Merry Christmas was performed by the United States Marine Corps Band, and this amazing version of Jingle Bells on the accordion was performed by the wonderful and talented Christian Nowicki. All other music and sounds used in this episode are the properties of their individual copyright holders, and they are used for purposes of commentary and review. No infringement is intended. Okay, boys, did I forget anything? God bless us, everyone. Merry Christmas! Greetings, Yule Believers. We're back in the Christmas cave for another installment of America's... There's a boogie board right in front of me, and I keep kicking it. Don't kick the boogie board. Classic podcasting advice. Greetings, Yule Believers. We're back in the Christmas cave for another installment of a favorite... <laughs> Greetings, Yule Believers. Greetings, Yule Believers. We're back in the Christmas cave for a... Greetings, Yule Believers. We're back in the Christmas... <laughs> Greetings, Yule Believers. We're back in the Christmas cave for a... Greetings, Yule Believers. We're back in the Christmas cave. (laughs) I haven't gotten past the first line of the show! This Christmas tip is something I found in Country Living's Merry and Bright, a collection of great ideas for decorating crafts and repas... Bake about seven inches. No, don't bake for seven inches because inches is not a thing you can measure baking by. If you're measuring baking by inches, then you're going to burn your souffle by a mile. Ha <laughs> ha! Nailed it.
So back in November of last so back in November of last year, I told you guys about a Chris ah! I'm really outtaking it up this week. Month, whatever this is. See, I, I even outtake in the middle of an outtake. No! But we're not out of alternative Santa suggestions just let ah! But we're not out of alternate Santa. But we're not out of alternate Santa suggestions. Come on, Tim. Words. And now it's time for the latest chapter of our Made for Christmas podcast. I can't read.